I know I've told you this before, but uh, some of you weren't here, I'm sure, when I said this. But I have a superpower. Uh, I don't wear a cape. I watched that movie, The Incredibles, and I understood why you don't wear a cape. So I don't wear a cape, but I have a superpower. Let me tell you about my superpower. When I fly, and I fly reasonably often for a person who flies, that doesn't do it for business, you understand. Those people that do it for business do it a lot more than me. Uh, I like to sleep. I like to get on a plane and sleep, and I do sleep. I mean, I've, I've slept through entire flights. I don't remember any of the takeoff, and I don't remember even the, the landing. Usually sometimes the landing wakes me up. And so, I, you know, and maybe it's because of all the stress it takes just to get on the plane. You know what I'm talking about? You've got to go through security, and you got you know, everything you've got to get. You've got to get there in time and all of that stuff. So, you know, sometimes I sit next to somebody who wants to talk. You know what I'm talking about? And they're going to be chatty the whole time. They're going to be talking about yada, yada, you know, all the way down. And so my super, I, I use my superpower on this. What they do is, is they say to me, you know, uh, all that they want to say. And then they say to me, and what do you do? And I say, I'm a Baptist preacher. And they say, I think I'll take a nap now. Works almost, except for one time, and I've told you about that. It works almost flawlessly. Now, the question I have to ask is, why don't they want to talk to me now? Why don't they want to talk to me once they find out that I'm a Baptist preacher? And, and I've, 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 you know, I've kind of put all of this together and I'm trying to think, what, what is it about that? And, and I've wondered if the real reason they don't want to talk to me like that is because they've seen what Christians are like and they don't want to be like Christians. Have you ever thought about that? It's not about them being under conviction. It's not about, you know, and that sometimes could be the case, but it's not about them being under conviction. It's not about them, you know, you know, whatever, they're afraid I'm going to condemn them or whatever else that is out there. Maybe they've, they've said, I've looked at what Christians are and I don't want to be like that. And part of that reason is, is because we as Christians sometimes are condemning. And why are we condemning? We're condemning because we want to be right. Now, there's nothing wrong with being right, you understand. But what we have determined was, is that if we can be right, we don't have to be Christ-like. Do you understand the difference there? I can be right, and therefore I don't have to be Christ-like. And that what we actually resemble, not we don't resemble Christ. What we do is we resemble the people who crucified Christ. This is what we look like. And we look like that because once you get into that business of being a condemning individual, you can find that if you're a, you know, if you're, you've ran a church, you know, sometimes you'll find a church that is always right. You know, they're always, you know, we have the word of God like nobody else has the word of God. We do the right things. And, and you know, you get all of that kind of stuff. Then what you realize is, is that those people become condemning. As uh, Dallas Willard calls that um, condemnation engineering. In other words, you can condemn other people and, and feel good about it because you are more right than they are. And so we find ourselves in that position of not being Christ-like, but being right. And that sounds really weird, isn't it? And so what we really need to be able to do is echo what uh, Paul would write in Galatians 2.20 and say, I've been crucified with Christ. 
And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live in, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. What really ought to be there is that we need to be like Christ. We're not appealing to the people that want to know that we want to bring to Christ. We're not appealing because maybe we're condemning. Maybe it's because when you're in that atmosphere of being right all the time, you can't have that inexpressible joy. You can't have that joy because you're so right. You don't have to be have inexpressible joy. And so what happens to us is, is that we get ourselves in a situation where we just don't look. Well, in some ways, we don't look any different from the rest of the world because when things are good, we're up. When the things are down, we're, they're down. And we, and we just kind of float along like that. And we're even in our best times, we're not something that is appealing to people. Now, we shouldn't be a people that are looking around and saying, well, when my circumstances are right, I'm going to be up and I'm going to have this, this inexpressible joy that Peter will write about. And when I'm down, I'm going, to have, I'm going to be down as I can be. You know, it shouldn't be that way. See, circumstances change, but joy shouldn't. It really shouldn't. And so that when Peter is writing to these people, remember who these people he's writing to. They're going through a tough time. And it's not just because of the persecution. They're going through difficult times because there's, everybody goes through difficult times. Everybody goes through difficult times. So we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter says that there should be joy in the Christian's life. That should be, the, that should be what prevails in us. And, and here's the thing, folks. When somebody is going through a difficult time, I don't think that they should be going around going, Wee, I'm going through a difficult time. But there should be a joy that prevails through their lives so that when those bad things happen, when somebody observes us through this, they'll say, I want to know what this person has. I want to know what is changing, what has changed in them. I want to know how this comes about. Now, Peter writes about this. He tells us that joyful Christians love Jesus. You look at that and see what he says. You see, the readers of this letter have never seen Jesus. Understand, that's what he's saying. I don't know, I'm afraid if I ask a question like, who has seen Jesus? I'm going to get a whole bunch of hands. But the reality, folks, is, is that none of us have seen Jesus. We have, none of us have literally seen the physical representation of who Jesus is. And, and I think that sometimes we get so hung up on these pictures that we have had painted over the years. We say, that's Jesus. That's what Jesus looks like. You know, and what I, I did a little bit of research on this and found out that what people do is they always draw a picture of Jesus that somehow looks like them. You go over to the Roman catacombs. And you'll find that there are depictions of Jesus and he's got short hair and no facial hair. You understand? 
you go into other areas, we, we all draw Jesus in our own image. And, and what bothers me sometimes is that I've, I've looked at him and, and, you know, how could a Middle Eastern man turn out to look like a surfer dude from California? You know what I'm saying? He's got blonde hair and he's got blue eyes. And, you know, that, I mean, more than likely, and I don't know what Jesus looked like. He was very dark skinned because he was from Middle Eastern man with brown eyes and, and, and very dark hair. I don't know if it's black, but it certainly was very dark hair. That's what you should have expected from Jesus in that, in that day. But what happens is we get these pictures of who Jesus is. We had this young man in um, Houston. Now I got to admit, he grew the, he, you know, he grew a beard and he had his hair long, and he was, he was a, you know, he was, you know, he was thin. I mean, if there was anybody that ever looked like Jesus, you know, by the pictures that we've seen, he looked like Jesus. And his mother told me that they were walking through one of the malls there in Houston, and this lady suddenly fell down on her knees before him and crossed herself. And her, his mother was not excited about that. And by the way, his mother's name was Barbara, not Mary. By the, I'm saying, because what happened? There is this idea that we know what Jesus looks like, and yet none of us has seen Jesus. And when uh, Peter wrote that, he actually put this word in a tense. When it says you've never seen uh, Jesus, that tense means you've never even had a glimpse of him. There's not one moment that you've even seen him from a distance. Now, why is that so important? It's because we as individuals have these pseudo-relationships. Pseudo-relationships in which we become fans. And when we become fans, we have our idols. And we then determine what our idol looks like. Even if, I mean, I don't know if you know it. But those people that are in the movies and stuff, if you see them in real life, they don't look like that. They've been made up. And you probably wouldn't even recognize some of them. I've seen some reasonably famous people. I've been in an elevator with one one time. And the person that I was with said, did you know who that was? I said, no. You know, it was a pretty famous person. I said, well, I didn't know who it was. It was I was riding an elevator. They were riding an elevator. That's it. You know, and that was kind of the situations going on. We don't know what they look like, but we have a picture of what they look like. And when we do this, when, our, when we have fans, when, and this is what the church is full of, by the way. Church is full of fans of Jesus, but very few followers of Jesus Christ. And what we find is, is that we have this picture. And, and what we do is, is we have an infatuation with our idols. Infatuation is a feeling of foolish or obsessively strong love for or interest in someone or something. That word foolish is the most operative word there. It's foolish because it's not based upon knowledge. It's based upon what I want it to look like. I want it to be. And so, you know, when we talk about love, Jesus loving us, do you realize that it comes from somebody who already knows us? And yet, he died for us anyway. Do you realize, Jesus is not infatuated with us. He's not infatuated. Infatuated is that he doesn't know us and he dies for us because he, he would think that we were somebody that we weren't. But he knows us. You see, we are saved then, or we're not saved and then loved. We're loved and then saved. Scripture supports this. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
See, God couldn't show his love for us if he didn't know us and he knows us. For God is not infatuated with us. He is not infatuated. And I think a lot of people in their infatuation, they say, I know what Jesus looks like. In fact, is I looked at several of the, of the people, even some of the people who uh, were somewhat early uh, Christian uh, in, the, in the church, and they wrote these depictions of what Jesus looked like. You know what? None of them looked alike. Somebody had to be wrong, if not all of them were wrong. And I'm afraid there's too much infatuation that was going on. That same word for love that is used in that Romans 5.8 is the same word that is used in 1 Peter 1.8 for our love for Jesus. In other words, the way that Jesus has loved us, these people had loved Jesus. They did this out of the knowledge of And so how is it that if we have not seen him, how do we know him so that we can love him? Well, we come to know Christ by receiving his word. This is the way that we come to know Christ. In Romans 10, 17, it says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You know, we spend some time recognizing that, uh, you know, in the, in the sermons that I preached uh, last year, we spent some time recognizing that, that faith comes from evidence. Faith is not just something that we made up and we said, you know what, we really want to believe this. And even though we have no evidence for it whatsoever, we want to believe this so badly that we're going to say that this is what we call faith, believing in something that we have no evidence for. But what this scripture is saying, hearing the word means that we have received it. There is a proof that is there that we have because the word has come to us. Now, let me give you the example that I'd I'd like to use here. In Mark chapter 4, verse 22, it says, For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, Jesus was obviously speaking to a bunch of people that all had ears. And it would have made no sense for him to be speaking to deaf people, you know, because they couldn't hear. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? And the fact is, is that if they couldn't hear, what would Jesus probably have done? He'd just gone over there and healed their hearing so that they could hear. So he's not talking about, can you hear? He's not talking about, can you actually hear me? Like some of the people in this room Uh, are are already not hearing me, even though they can hear me. That's just the way that it is. I mean, so the the deal is he's not talking about this. So what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about when you hear this word, have you received this word? You've got to have it received. And it it is by you receiving it. And what is that? It says that is so that we could trust in his word. We trust in it. See, when you trust in something, you put your weight on it. You, you put it in such a situation that you test it by putting yourself on top of it. You trust it. If I tell you that you should trust the ice across the lake, you'd have to determine whether or not you can actually trust that ice. And if you do trust that ice, it's thick enough, you can get out there on it. But if you don't trust it, you better not get on it. That's the way that it, it should be. You know, when I was first, I came here, 
the uh, Baptist Journal of Association of Virginia invited some of the pastors to come hear this guy. They talked about uh, how computers can be used in the church and reaching people through it and all of this kind of stuff. And this guy got up and he said that he had put, um, he told us a lot of ways you could do that, but he also said, I put uh, monitoring software on my son's computer so that I can know what he's watching, what he's, you know, he's, he's listening to, what he's, you know, he's, what websites he's going to. And so I asked him, I said, so did you, do you share with your son what you get on the internet for? And he got indignant with me. He was indignant. He said, I don't, I don't respond to a teenager. I don't have to answer to a teenager. No, I'm going, that's not the point, is it? That's not the point. If you can be trustworthy for, if he, can, he has to be trustworthy to you, you need to be trustworthy to him too. And at that point, I lost it with this thing because I didn't trust this guy anymore. I'll be honest with you. So once we trust in Christ and his word, we, must, we realize his love for us. You realize, once you realize that Jesus Christ knew you, knew all of your sins, knew everything that you've done and what you're going to do, he died for you anyway. That's love. That's a genuine love that, you know, it's really hard for us to express in any other way except that Jesus Christ would do it that way. But once we realize his love for us, we should respond with love. So that 1 John chapter 4 verse 19 makes sense. We love because he first loved us. We, that love comes out. That love has been made alive. It becomes made alive because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were, that means we were unable to respond to the love of God at that point. And when, when, and when we, we trusted in him, the Holy Spirit came to live in us. And the Holy Spirit is one with the Father and the Son. And and through this relationship with the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son, we fall into a deeper relationship. And the deeper relationship results in a love that is out there. And that love that goes out there, folks, is attractive. You realize that I remember there was a girl in my high school. She wasn't the prettiest girl. But I could tell you that she always had a date. Do you want to know why? She genuinely loved people. She genuinely loved people. There's nothing more attractive than somebody that loves you. So this is the, the, the situation that is going on. We become attractive in this. So these disciples of the, of the apostles loved Jesus, whom they had never seen because they had come to know him through his word and had been inhabited by the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to say something to you folks. Maybe you've never heard this before, or maybe you've just never heard it articulated this way. If you do not possess the Holy Spirit, you do not know him. You do not know him. And the scripture backs that up, of course. Romans 8, 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So you possess the Holy Spirit to know who Jesus Christ is, or you do not possess the Holy Spirit, and you do not know who Jesus Christ is. In a paternity suit, they look 
at the DNA of the child and of the supposed father. And if that DNA does not match up, that is not your father. Realize it's something that is within you. But we know him because we are his and he is our father. 1 John 4.13 says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. This is how we know him. This is how we know who we are as well. And joyful Christians love Jesus. They love Jesus. But joyful Christians also believe in Jesus. They believe in Jesus. You know, I, I think the thing about it is, you say, well, can, you, can you know him but not believe in him? The answer is absolutely not. You can't in reality. This word, though, is understand, it is a greater, it's a definition of how, of, of, of what that means to know him. And that is to entrust yourself. That's what it means to believe. It is to commit to another with confidence. It's confidence in what they're going to do. And so that there were people who at one time, they, they, they did not know who Jesus was, but now they know who Jesus is And what has happened is, is that they have become secure because salvation is secure through the Holy Spirit. This is what happens. We we receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit then ensures that we have our salvation. It's going to be something that is going to go with us all our lives. It does not matter how, what we do with it because he is holding it special for us. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says... In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. You see, what has happened here is is that there is a joy in the very fact that you cannot lose this condition. You may do some things that you shouldn't do. You should do some very hateful things, some very mean things. You can do all of that, but you cannot lose this salvation because he holds that salvation for you. And there's a joy in that. Not because I want to do bad things, but because even if I do, he's holding on to me. He's holding on to me through all of this. You see, the first time I went to get a loan for myself, I got a car loan, probably not the best thing that I should have done, but I went to buy a car and my dad had to go sign for me. He had to sign and say, I guarantee that this loan is going to be paid off. The reality was, is the bank hoped I would do it, but they knew he would do it. Do you understand? And this is the way the situation is with our salvation. You know, we should live Christian lives. We should be Christ-like. But even if we're not, the Holy Spirit holds on to us. He is our guarantee. And there's a joy in that because you don't know how many times I've gone home and beat myself up for something I'd have said that it was so disrespectful of Jesus. You hear what I'm saying? Disrespectful. Even from the pulpit sometimes. I've said some things that I shouldn't have done. And so I know that he's holding on to me anyway. Joyful Christians are trusting in Jesus. I should have underlined the word are instead of trusting. 
Because it's, it's, it's what's going on. Joyful Christians have a current testimony. They, they have a testimony that goes beyond, you know, when I, I say, can you give me your testimony? How many of you would say, when I was seven years of age? Well, that would be great if you're eight. Do you understand? But a testimony shouldn't say, when I was seven years of age. You see, salvation is always a current event. A testimony needs to be kept current. I met with a group of people recently who claimed to be Christians, and they probably were. So, but, but nearly all of their testimonies revealed a story about Jesus, who Jesus was far away. And their story sounded like this to me. When I was seven, when I was ten, it was way back there. Now, they may have gone to church. They may be regular attenders at church. But Jesus seemed to be more of an insurance policy, just in case you got into a disaster, than someone that they knew, they hadn't seen him, but they knew him, and that they walked with him. Because you could tell that Jesus was not affecting their day-to-day living. You see, because it really should affect us in such a way that our day-to-day living, understand, that's attractive, folks, by the way. It's attractive to see that a person is being changed and being changed. And two weeks from now, you find it's a different person. They're better than they were before. They're more Christ-like. For Jesus, or rather, joyful believers, lives are ordered by Jesus. They're put in order. And and not in the sense of commands, but a sense of putting everything in its place. What is at the center of a joyful Christian? Who is at the center of a joyful Christian? Is it their job? Is it their family? Is it, what, what is it that they're out there? What did Jesus say? What did Jesus say himself? He said, Luke chapter 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And so what has happened with so many people is, is that they go and they say, well, you know what, I, I just need to, I need to be compliant with my family for right now. I mean, my, you know, it's amazing to me at church that if one person gets sick, the whole family has to stay home. Do you understand what I'm saying? If one person gets sick, even the neighbors want to stay home, I think. You understand what I'm trying to say? And what we have done is, is that we've not realized, yes, there are times when you need to stay home with a sick one. I got that. But does everybody have to stay home? Where is Jesus in this? Is he at the very center of your life? Or if he's not at the center of your life, then you've got things out of order. Have you ever taken one of those tests, you know, where they have the columns and they go all the way down the, the, the deal and, you know, this one's A and this one's C and this one's D and, you know, you're going down. Have you ever got it out of order? Do you know what happens when you get it out of order? They're all wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? You got up here and you said, oh, 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 I skipped number four. Oh, no, I got that in the, oh, my goodness. Every one of them is wrong after that. You don't put things in the right order. They get really bad results. And and many people don't realize they are put things in the wrong order. For the joy in Christians is inexpressible and filled with glory. This is the result of loving and believing. You know, a lot of times we come to church and we tell you to smile. 
You, you, you've never heard us say that before, I'm sure. We've never said to you, you need to smile this morning. We do that all the time, don't we? You know, but you know, in reality, I'm, I'm not saying we shouldn't do that every once in a while because I know that some of you are going through some very difficult times and, and, and smiling doesn't seem to be the thing that's very natural to you. But a Christ-likeness is to be seen from the inside out, not because we just simply want to paint it on the front side in. And what we need to recognize is that we're not chasing after happiness. What we're doing is, is that because, I mean, happiness is just what happens to be happening, you know? But what we're doing is, is that we're, we're looking at not even our circumstances. What we're doing is, is that we're realizing that there is a God that we know that we can depend on and we can trust in. And repeating what I did last week, I'm going to bring this out again. And so when those circumstances come, and you want to say, well, you know, I'm, I'm going through a tough time. Well, I understand you're going through a tough time. You need to remember some things. I need to remember some things when this happens. I remember, one, that God is present. Amen. That he's with us no matter what we are going through. And he is present right here with you no matter what you're going through right now. I remember that he knows exactly what is going on and yet allows it for my good. I know that is absolutely truth. And so when I see that I'm going through this difficult time, I say, God, you could take this away, but he doesn't take it away. And he doesn't take it away. Why? Because he knows that there's some good that he can bring out of that. I remember that he will carry me through this. I'm not going to go through this all on my own. I'm going to be, he's going to be with me in all of this. He's going to carry me. And sometimes when I can't go another step, you know what he does? He gives me a little push. And I say, oh, I just went another step. Went another step because he's carrying me through this. And he says, you can't stop now or you stop in the middle of what you're going through. You need to go on. And I know, I remember that he will cause me to grow as a believer. The best growth in my life has sometimes been through the difficult times that I've been in. And I know this is the truth. I know and I remember that I'm loved. I remember I'm loved. And what I'm saying is, is that when you go through that difficult time, the love that God has for you has not changed. God's love is still there. I remember that I am his of such immense worth that he gave his son for me. I'm not some piece of garbage that God has wadded up and thrown over in the trash. And I guarantee you there'll be some Christians that do that with you. They'll throw you over to the side. Well, that's not God. And I remember that this is temporary. Whatever I'm going through. Do you understand how where the inexpressible joy can come through all of that? Because I know him. I know him. I believe in him. I trust in him. And into this. This is where this comes in. And all I can say is that it is filled with glory. Inexpressible joy praises God to the fullest. You see... When I was in seminary, there was a pastor, he was the interim pastor at our church. He decided to preach on praising God. And we, I remember him saying over and over, it's amazing what praising can do. And he said that over and over. And he even told us, he said, when you're going through a tough time, maybe you ought to praise God. Not for the tough time. I'm not trying to tell you that. But praise him for those things that I just told you that I remember. Praising for those things. You know, when I got to seminary, 
I heard these stories of all these people having uh, joy. And I, I, I mean, I'm going to tell you, I was going through a very difficult time. I mean, our house wouldn't sell in, in Tyler, Texas. It wouldn't sell. And we were trying to make two house payments. And then I, finally, I lost the house. I mean, I lost every penny we had because I had to simply let it be taken back. And this is the things that are going on. And I remember after the first semester, I got a friend of mine and I got in the car and I drove out in the parking lot. And I said, I said, are, do you enjoy this? And he said, no. I said, good. I thought there's something wrong with me. But you see, the problem was I got happiness and joy mixed up. Do you understand? There's no, there's no happiness sometimes. But there's a joy in knowing a God who loves me and never forgets me and is carrying me through all of this and all those things that I just said. And, and then salvation is the result of faith. Salvation is the result of faith. This faith that He's come to save me in, there's a result that gets brought, brought out uh, salvation in me. For salvation has a source. There's going to be, there's a day that you say that Jesus Christ came to live in me. And then maybe it's a testimony of somebody else. And if we are attractive Christians, we should be looking at those individuals. They should be looking at us and saying, I want to be like you. You, you might be that source for some people. Salvation has a force. You see, this is the day-to-day living of salvation. It's not about you're going to be saved and then someday, you know, you just, you just kind of wait around till you go to heaven. It's about this force that is within you. The Holy Spirit has come and He's changing you. And while I may not be what I need to be, I'm not what I used to be. That's what I have to say. And salvation, of course, has a course. It is always going somewhere. It is... It is changing me with this course that God has within me to bring me into the things that God has for me. And some of those things are going to be through difficult times. I got that. I understand that. I believe that. But it has a course that God has for me as a course that God has for you. And in this salvation, this salvation that you should know, not as something that happened way back here, something that is happening right here. Salvation should give us inexpressible joy. Inexpressible. I may not like what's going on in my life, but I know the one who has me in the palm of his hands, and I know he'll carry me through this. There's joy in that.